0: We're going to talk today about waiting for Jesus. I'm going to take you to the passage there in chapter 32 where Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days, or nearly so at this point, and he took no food, he took no water with him. You might survive 40 days without food, you just would, would wish you hadn't, and, uh, but you'll never make 40 days without water. I mean, that just isn't going to happen. It's a total physical impossibility. Someone uh, said last night you can survive about 2 weeks without water and then you just you're dead. And now Moses is up there and he's he's in that cloud, so he's probably got some shelter from the from the sun and all and he's in the glory of the Lord, but there's an incredible miracle going on. The whole time he's having this this prayer and intercession, this conversation with the Lord, who's telling him about the, the, the tabernacle that's to be set up and, and, and giving him uh, the, the laws, the standards by which the people are to be living. So this is a very rich time for him, and he's suspended. He's literally suspend, suspended in the Shekinah glory of God, and he's not having to eat or drink. Well, down below in the camp, they are watching the days click by. They know he took no food or water with him. And so they're at about, somewhere now at about a month and 10 days, they figure he's dead. He has either died of, of um, uh, thirst or he has died from the fire that they do continue to see up there on the mountain. I think it was a very, that, that fire was very real. Uh, I have in my mind no doubt that they've located Mount Sinai now, and it's not down on the Sinai Peninsula. It's in, it's in uh, Saudi Arabia. And that peak is blackened on part of it. I mean, there it is, and it's just inexplicably blackened. Uh, you can see that. I've got videos of this thing. You could, I could show it to you. Uh, it's remarkable. So, this fire's burning, so they don't know whether he's been burned to death or he's died of thirst. But at 40 days, he's not coming back in their mind. And when that happened, something strange changed in their thinking. They've been waiting for him to return. And when he did not return, when they expected, they they decide he's dead, and their attitudes begin to come unraveled. Now, there's a similarity between Israel and the church today. They were waiting for Moses to come back. We today are waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. We're in a similar position. And Many times, Jesus talks about this waiting period. He tells us it'll be a long time, and he tells us that, our, that maintaining our faith and having oil in our lamp, keeping our faith aflame through this entire waiting period is very important. He warns us about going to sleep and about losing our faith and becoming discouraged in the wait. And so, I want to look today at that process of waiting for Jesus. I'll show you the parallels, and then I want, to, I want to see what the Lord says about how do we keep our heart aflame for him. How do we keep awake? How do we stay healthy while we're waiting for Jesus Christ? Father, we ask for that grace now to open the word. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you are our soon and coming king. We ask you to teach us today to wait for you uh, with hearts aflame come now and i pray for grace to let you speak so that we hear your voice in jesus name amen exodus chapter 32 verse 1 now when the people saw that moses delayed to come down from the mountain the people assembled about aaron and said to him come make a god make us a god who will go before us as for this moses the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. I don't like the phrase tear off. That's kind of a little ugly. <laughs> then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said... This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now Aaron, when he saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. Literally, that's what it says in the Hebrew. Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And then the Lord spoke to Moses back up on the mountaintop and, Go down at once for your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They've made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. They are an obstinate people. Stiff-necked is what it is, like a horse that won't turn when you pull on the reins. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I'll make of you a great nation. God is very upset. And he says to Moses, "Uh, why don't I just kill them all? We'll just have two million little grease stains on the desert floor there. And I will start all over again with you. And just like I started with Noah, or I started uh, with Abraham, I could make a whole new nation out of you. And uh, Moses, uh, fortunately, goes on to intercede for the people uh, earnestly. Uh, he's, he's, it's a good thing he hadn't seen the camp yet, but he prays there on the mountaintop with God. And then he, when he gets to the camp, he loses his cool a bit, and, and, I, and I don't blame him. Um, But he prayed, and and God didn't follow through with that, of course. Um, Aaron, the people come to Aaron, and and the the language is that they come in mass. So there's there's a mob environment. Many, many people gather around Aaron, and they said, make us an idol. That's what they want. They want an idol. once Moses isn't coming back, the fear of God is off of them. They're more afraid of Moses, apparently, than they are of God himself. And so they said, we want an, we want an idol. We're tired of walking around uh, following a God we can't see. Now, you've got this column of 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 cloud by day and of fire by night. You'd think that would be okay. You can you can hear the rumblings, even hear his voice at at times, which troubled them. But that no no no. We want something solid, (laughs) like a like a like a a a little idol of a of a bull. That that's solid. I mean, if if that isn't something to follow, I don't know what is. And so we want this little little bull, and that's that's our idea. And so Aaron gave them bull. Um, now you, 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 you would have thought, you would have thought that he would have had more resistance than there. We see no resistance on his part at all. I mean, Aaron is an enormous disappointment. Um, God didn't want Aaron in the first place. He got pushed into it by, by Moses, uh, insistence that he couldn't speak well enough. And so that he had to have a helper. And so we got Aaron kind of with the package. But Aaron, Aaron, at this point, you don't see him going, oh, my people, how could you do this? There's, there's none of that. He, he simply says, uh, have your wives and, and, and family bring all of your gold jewelry to me, and I'll make you an idol. And they didn't even specify what they wanted. They said, make us Elohim, is what they said. Make us Elohim. We want, we want, a, we want a, a, an idol we can see. Uh, we're tired of this second commandment that says no graven images. We want an idol. So he says, all right. And then, you know, he could have, I don't know what he would have made other than this, but he made a, a young bull. And the young bull was a common Egyptian symbol. It was the symbol for Osiris, uh, the sun god. And they believed that his soul would reside in the young bull. I suppose, while I don't know what this thing, this orb is going overhead, the, the soul of Osiris resided in this young bull. And then the people, they said, ah, this is our God. And I think Aaron got nervous. I mean, the, the mountain's still smoking up there. And he probably is realizing that he too will smoke soon if, if this <laughs> keeps up. And so he tries to cover his, his tracks. And what he does is he says, um, that bull is really Yahweh. That's, that's Yahweh. That's what we've done. We've made a, a Yahweh. And so tomorrow, we'll have a feast to Yahweh, the bull. And uh, then the next day, he, he builds an altar so that they can have their sacrifices in front of this, this, this bull. And then the next day, he says, we're going to have a feast. And the people brought their burnt offerings. Did you notice? And their fellowship offerings. That's the way you worship the Lord. Burnt offerings were, in a, uh, were the confession of sin. <laughs> fellowship offerings where you had a, 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 a meal, as it were, a covenant meal, because you're in communion with this God. And so they began to have these things, and they sat down to eat and drink, which is what you do at a fellowship uh, meal. You sit down to eat and drink, but then it says they rose up to play, and the the implication is that they, they had an orgy. It, it, it went from a, a fellowship meal where you're supposedly having this communion with Yahweh into this perverse sexual behavior. It is an interesting thing. Someone even commented to me the other day that when you twist theology, when you begin to pervert the nature of God, almost always there is sexual uh, perversity. Immorality and false theology seem to go together. It's a strange thing. And so as they twisted and had this horrible situation, the restraint came off of them and they became, they violated, uh, they became, uh, had a drunken orgy, uh, began to dance and to have a uh, sexual time. All over the camp, um, later on when Moses arrived, he would have the Levites Uh, go through in a police action through the camp from one side to the other. They would sweep it. And everybody who was continuing on with this behavior or attacked them, they would kill. They killed 3,000 in a a police action to calm the camp down. It turned into this wild um, Mardi Gras-like environment. Look over at verse 21. When Moses got back, I'll start at verse 19. It says, it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hand and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. So there goes the first copy of the Ten Commandments. And he took the calf, this golden bull, it would have been a uh, wood uh, core, and then they poured the molten, oil, the molten gold over it. So he burned it and then, as, then he has this melted, twisted mass of gold and that he ground to powder, scattered it over the water um, and made the sons of Israel drink it. He didn't want even the land corrupted with the gold from that vile thing. You know, when you worship an object, uh, you invite a demon into it. Uh, just, and so the thing was demonized now, highly demonized. And so he was, he was cleansing that pollution uh, out of the entire system. Kind of a rough way to do it. It was a punishment, I'm sure. Then verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Look at these two brothers. He comes to, and he cannot believe his brother. And he says, what did they ever do to you that you would hate them so that you would bring this curse upon them? What did they ever do to you? Can you see his heart? He, I mean, as sinful as they are, he loves his people. And he cannot believe that his brother has has betrayed them like this. I mean, they didn't make this calf. Aaron made it. They wanted an idol. They were stupid and they were they were they were frightened. But he didn't didn't stop them at all. He made the worst thing that could have been, and basically declared that the Egyptian sun god Osiris was really Yahweh, and that or Yahweh was the sun god Osiris, and that it's all the same, you know, and, and, and led them into a vicious syncretism. He said, what did they ever do to you that you hated them so much as to hurt them this badly? It's quite the conversation. Israel was waiting for Moses to return. They stopped expecting accountability. They served God out of fear, clearly, not out of love. When Moses was out of the picture, Moses who would punish them, they simply threw over the various Ten Commandments they didn't like. They released themselves from the demands of the Ten Commandments. God would be very popular if he weren't holy. The religions of the world, I mean, religion is is intrinsic in humans. We're going to be religious one way or another. The problem with the true God is that he's different than us other religions basically extrapolate human tendencies and make them divine. Biblical religion is a revelation, and so the God you encounter there is vastly different than us. And stuff you meet there just doesn't even compute, and you struggle with it because it's so unhuman. It's a revelation of the true God, not an invention of human minds. And so he's holy. And we would be happy with him if it weren't for his Ten Commandments. I think he'd be popular if he had Eight Commandments. <laughs> you know, if you could just take a few of those out of there, he'd be, he'd be, you know, he'd be one popular guy. We don't like his holiness. We do not like his demands for honesty, with his attitudes toward covetousness. We certainly don't like the Seventh. We do not like the command to be sexually pure and loyal. That probably, of all his commandments, is the most offensive. But for them, it was also his commandment not to have idols. They wanted to see something. They did not like worshiping this person they couldn't see. They wanted to see him. So they throw over. Something happens when we stop expecting accountability we become released from the demands of the Ten Commandments and we begin to, our morals and our character begins to decline. But they also found a leader who would pretend that nothing had changed. They found a religious leader who said, nothing's changed, we're still worshiping Yahweh. Let's bring our sacrifices to Yahweh tomorrow morning. We'll build an altar to him and we will we will offer our burnt offerings and our fellowship offerings, nothing has changed. The church today is waiting for Jesus to return. But when the hope for his return dies in us, when the sense of meeting him, of seeing him, of his real presence moves away, the same phenomenon goes on. We stop expecting his accountability. We release ourselves from the demands of the 10 commandments. And we find leaders who pretend that nothing has changed. There are whole denominations today that have been established so that there can be certain ones of the 10 commandments thrown out the window and you can still go to heaven. That that's the basic reason for their existence. Oh, people have been so, they've been taking these old Hebrew values and forcing them on modern Americans in the world. Uh, We just got to keep up with the times. And we throw that junk out the window. And we are loving and we are accepting. And we now have, and by the way, this is true Christianity. This is true Christianity. Those extreme redneck fundamentalists telling us we can't do these things. We find leaders who pretend that nothing has changed. This phenomenon was not simply taking place at the foot of Mount Sinai. This phenomenon is taking place in the church today. How then do we wait for Jesus? How do we in the ensuing years, I mean, they waited 40 days and lost it. We've been waiting how long? Yeah, nearly 2,000 years. I think the Lord ascended into heaven, and my, my thinking is 32 AD. Uh, do some math, but that's how long it's been for us waiting, and, and he's not back yet. So how do we wait for millennia for his return and not have our faith go the same way, where we stop expecting him to come back? We decide maybe he died. Maybe he's not coming back at all and have this process. Here are some steps I believe the Bible tells us to have. First of all, we need to keep perspective. Jesus' return is delayed, but it is not canceled. When you go out to the airport today, you'll often find that your flight's been delayed. You know, you go up and you look at this screen, and there's de- the thing's flashing, it's delayed, or, and, and, and the new time is, and, and all that. Well, that's frustrating, But the other day, I went to the airport and I punched in my confirmation number and I'm standing there and the thing just comes up and it says, your flight has been canceled. And it didn't even say, we're sorry. (laughs) It didn't say, and go to such and such a counter and ask those people what to do next. Said nothing, just your flight's been canceled. And I started yelling at the screen. (laughs) I said, and so what am I supposed to do now? And I'm talking to this screen, and, and somebody at the counter said, Pastor Steve? You can't hide. I said, yes. I, said, I used to go to your church for a couple of years, and I'm, I'm a pastor now in Tacoma. I said, hi. My flight's been canceled, and I don't know where to go. And and he says, come, let me help you. And he was was so sweet about it. Hmm? Jesus' flight has been delayed. His return has been delayed, but it has not been canceled. And we have to keep this thing in perspective. Jesus will say several times, uh, he'll say, it is not for you to know the time of my return. Uh, look at Acts chapter 1. There's, there he'll just say it to his disciples. They're sitting and hoping that at his ascension, that he, this was the moment of his return, uh, that he was going to set up his kingdom. And they said, Lord, is it at this time, verse 6, that you are return, uh, restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said, in fact, if you've found it yet, uh, read it out loud with me. Verse seven, Acts one, verse seven. It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. Now, is that clear? Yeah. Um, I say that because if I, I, I haven't, I haven't been going and look. But I'll let you go to the bookstore. You'll find a book on, you know. Well, we went through eighty-eight reasons why he was coming in eighty-eight, and and and, and we've gone. I mean, I've been old enough in this thing that it's about every five years. You just have to wait till the last batch of suckers kind of dies down, and then there'll be another book. And somebody's going to come out with a book as to why mathematically, because of the founding of Israel, I don't know what, or year 2000, the millennial thing. Why, wasn't that fun? Aren't we all glad we stored soybeans, Uh, you know? (laughs) For Y2K, we dodged a bullet there, huh? And, and so you name it, there's somebody who's going to come up with this panic cycle. I think, I don't know if they make money on it or they're bored, um, but for whatever reason, you, you, I can promise you, it's been a little while. You know, every so often when things are kind of calm, I think, ooh, we've been calm a little too long, something nutty needs to come along. <laughs> Wonder what's the next thing. And so the next time you get one of these books, just drop it in the trash. He says, you're not going to know. But he does actually tell us somewhere what he's watching for. The thing you need to know is, number one, it's not for us to know. But number two, there are reasons that the Lord is delayed. Let me show you this. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter's almost to the end. If you've gotten to 1 John, you're too far. 2 Peter chapter 3. This, is written in, this book was written in 66 AD, so 30 years after the Lord ascended into heaven, people were already beginning to say, I guess he's not coming back. They were already worrying what his, why he was delayed, and so Peter writes this and he says, verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 3, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their lusts. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. We haven't seen the clouds open up. We haven't seen the, the, the angels bringing their trumpets. He hasn't come. And then, then Peter goes on to say, well, there was a lot of water in the world, but nothing happened till all of a sudden the floods rose in Noah's time. And, and flooded the earth. And he then goes on to say, now there's a lot of fire in the world. (laughs) And next time he's going to fricassee the planet. And verse eight, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. God simply isn't hung up on our calendar. It just makes no difference to him. But he tells you now, what is God keeping the Lord from coming back. He tells us why. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, but as counting, some count slowness. But here's the reason. He is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Oh, why didn't Jesus come back 50 years ago? How many would have missed it if he had come back 50 years ago? Hold your hands up. That's why. He waited for you. And you say, wait a minute, he's got billions of people. Heaven's going to be crowded now, isn't it? What's he going to do with us all? We're talking about God. For one thing, plenty of room in heaven. It's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. But secondly, this is a God who knows every one of us as if we were an only child, whose love for us is completely undiminished by his love for the person next to you or his love for someone on the other side of the earth right now. It's not diminished in the slightest. His ability to to think of you, to plan for you, is completely undiminished. You're dealing with God. He's not a little bit better than us. This is the God who is completely different from us. And it matters to him. He is waiting for the last soul to come in. Well, how's it going? Well, right now the estimates are like 160,000 people a day are are coming to Christ. So no, he's not going to turn off the tap. He is not. Well, will it go on like this forever? No, it won't. The Bible says that what's happening, and you can even feel it and see it at, at large in the earth today, that people are moving into different camps. There are those who love the Lord with all their heart. And there are those who hate him with a fervor and want to kill his people. Aren't there? Yes. I mean, people, there used to be kind of this big, mushy, wushy religious middle ground where people were kind of a little bit, you didn't know what they were or weren't. But that's moving. I mean, they're, they're, either, they're either an on-fire Pentecostal or they're a Wiccan. I mean, it's, there's sort of nothing much in, in the United States, but it's happening around the world the same way. It's happening around the world the same way. In 1906, you had what was really the beginning of the Pentecostal movement. Since 1906, there, w- there, was, there was just, what, a handful of, of Pentecostals. Today, there are over 600 million Pentecostals worldwide. Look at that. <laughs> you, and, I mean, And people all over the earth are gathering this weekend and they're 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 different colors than you they wear different clothes than you and they'll be speaking and singing in different languages than you but i've been around enough now that they are going they're going to be worshiping many with even the same songs they'll have their hands in the air there'll be tears running down their faces they'll be saying hallelujah cuz that's in all every language they'll be glorifying the same jesus and they'll have the same sweet look on their faces that you have nothing's different all over the earth It's remarkable. I mean, you just need, you need to go on some of these missions. You need to get this in your soul and see this and go, these are, this is family. I'm home. And you are all over the earth. This is happening. On the other hand, there are those now who want to kill us. There are those where, where we're having, we're having more of our pastors and Christians dying violently right now than ever before in church history. The war is largely with radical Islam. I think, frankly, that's the outcome of the last days. You're going to have camps. That's what's going on right now. This division is happening all over the earth. What's Jesus waiting for? The last soul. The book of Revelation basically pictures it this way, that there comes a moment where this thing is happening and God takes the earth like a towel and he just wrings it till he gets the last one. He just rings the earth until the last one believes. There's coming a moment when this all ends. And Jesus says, when you begin to see these things start to happen, lift your head up for, for that for your redemption draweth nigh. And he says, not, even, not this generation that begins to see these things happen will not pass away. So it'll be very shortly all within somebody's lifespan. Once it starts, big time, it's not going to go longer than lifespan. And he said, it'll all happen and it'll come suddenly and unexpectedly. He tells us these things so that we be prepared. We must keep perspective. The Father has these reasons that the Son is delayed, and they are wonderful and good reasons. We will all. Secondly, we need to have this perspective that we will all see Him in our lifetime. He may not come back for another 250 years. That is where the sky rolls back like a scroll and the Lord comes through and the sound of heaven comes roaring into this earth and shakes it like a, like a bell. I may not be alive at the time to see that. If I lived four more decades, I'd be too old. <laughs> but let's say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm taking my vitamins and I'm doing all that I'm supposed to do. So I make it four decades I don't know when he's coming back, but I know this. Within four decades, I'm going to see him face to face. I will see him face to face. There'll come a moment when I breathe my last, my spirit will rise out of my body, and there will be the Lord. I'm going to fall at his feet, and then he's going to pick me up, and I'm going to hug him. You see, I already know him. I've known him for years and he knows me. This is not somebody new I'm meeting but I finally get to see him with my eyes. I finally get to see him. Some of us in the room are real young. You may have seven or eight decades but in your lifetime you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see him face to face. It's no longer than that. So we put it in perspective. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. Amen. Secondly, we need to plan for a long wait. A a long wait. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, um, to Matthew chapter 24. This whole section of Scripture is about what happens when he comes back. And Over and over again, he says, be prepared for this long wait. You do not know when I'm coming. Uh, Verse 42, therefore be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Uh, Then he tells this parable of the, uh, and he's talking about spiritual leaders in in the section 45 through 51. And he uh, he says to these spiritual leaders, if you mistreat my people, um, thinking I'm not coming back. Uh, verse 48, the evil slave, speaking of an evil religious leader, says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. See, when I begin to forget that I'm going to see him, when I begin to forget that he's coming, when, I be- when, that, when that, his delay begins to do its work on me, he says he begins to eat and drink and beat his, the, the, the followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, boy, it's a grim, a grim outcome that comes for that individual. Then he has that parable of the ten virgins, which immediately follows. Remember that? Five took lamps. They were all burning brightly, and a burning, brightly, burning lamp was the heart. That's what it's talking about. Having living faith in your heart. And they went out to meet the bridegroom, but he didn't come when they thought he would. He took longer to arrive than they expected. And so the oil in their lamps died out, And the living faith stopped and they fell asleep before the bridegroom returned. Five other of these virgins took extra oil. They replenished the oil and kept the flame of faith burning until the bridegroom returned. They did not fall asleep, but were there when when the call went out to meet him. Jesus is saying this, it's going to be longer than you think. Keep filling your heart with oil. How do we do that, rivers of living water? We keep worshiping, you're doing it today. Hearing the word, worshiping the Lord, gathering with believers, loving him, praying, reading the Bible at home, however you do it, but just keeping oil in the lamp. Just keeping oil in the lamp so that there's living faith. I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility for your own heart. Nobody can finally do that for you. We can put food out. We can put supplies out. We can put resources out. We can, we can pray for each other. But ultimately, you have a responsibility to feed your own spirit. And you are the one who will finally be accountable before the Lord to not fall asleep, but to have living faith burning in our hearts. It's totally doable. Totally doable. It's easy in a sense. All of it's been given to us, but I must exercise my choice. The sad thing is watching people not feeding their spirit, ignoring their spiritual lives, and pursuing the things of the world. That's one of the great dangers the Lord warns us of. Thirdly, use the time we have well. I'll just say this briefly. By delaying his return, we're being given more time to bring people to Christ. I'm actually, I'll be glad to see Jesus. If he wants to come back tomorrow, I'm thrilled to see him. But actually, I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't. Way too many people are coming to the Lord. Way too much is going on. I don't think he's going to. I think we have, and I think we, yes, we should be delighted for his return. But folks, if we're just sitting there saying, I hope he comes back because I hate life. That's a symptom of your own spiritual condition. And let me tell you something he said to me one time when I hated life. And I, I, was in, I, was, I was in a full depression, lying on the bed, fetal position, sucking my thumb. <laughs> I can make fun of it now, but I mean, I, I'm not making fun of it. Dep- I can do that because de- I've been a depressive. And I'm not, I, I know deeply what I'm talking about. And I was in a full on. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, um, he said, you don't want to live, do you, son? I said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, "He said, since you're not enjoying living for yourself, now, I was a pastor. He says, why don't you just give me your life? I mean, just totally let go, and I'll do it whatever I want. I mean, we might as well. It's a pity to waste a perfectly good life. There's still 50,000 miles on this vehicle. <laughs> it was like that. He said, you know, you're, now, I didn't think of myself as living for myself. I'm pastoring, for heaven's sakes. I'm serving God. And yet my motives inside were about me. And I couldn't let go. I was always controlling the process so that it would fulfill my desires. Because if I let go, there's no telling what this crazy God would do to me. That's what I, th- I mean, bottom line, taking all of the near off of it, that's what the problem was. I was afraid of him. He'd send me to Borneo. Now I want to go. <laughs> And, and and so I and, and then we had we had this conversation and and I finally was able to say to him, I just give you what's left of my life, like I'll be like a coin in your pocket, you can spend me any way you want. And I meant it. It was the first time in my life I'd ever been able to let go of the and let go and of the grip. People, we should be glad for the days we have. And if we let go of living for ourselves, and when we begin to earnestly live for Jesus Christ, you'll take your vitamins, you'll exercise, you'll, 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 you'll get up in the morning you'll, and, and, and be glad for life because you have another day to serve your Lord. Amen. Jesus says that they who seek to save their life will lose it. But they who lose it for my sake and for the gospel, he says, they will find it. Real life is found in living for him, not living for us. The more we try to buy for ourselves, pad our nest, comfort ourselves, make sure nothing stresses us, the more depressing it is, isn't it? I know. The more I live vulnerably for Jesus Christ, the more I take those scary steps of faith and follow him and do the things he asks me to do, the more fullness of joy and meaning and purpose comes into me and I'm glad to be alive. And I begin to parcel out my life and say, now I figure I can do this till then and man, I don't know what time my, my body will break down but I'm gonna do this till then. And you begin to spend every day you have well for Jesus Christ and then we'll see him. And then we'll hear well done, good and faithful servant. And to the joy of my, ma- your master, and then real life begins. Then we leave the shadowlands. You see, we're gripping onto the shadowlands, aren't we? These are the shadowlands. These are the this 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 life and this existence is a vague dreamlike time. Real life is ahead of us. You're going to have a body so much more solid, so much more healthy, so much more wonderful than what you have now. The world is going to be so much sweeter and more beautiful. We have a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, and there'll be no more corruption, no more death, no more violence, no more ugliness, and yet we will be, we will be serving and, and, and in active and busy. We've got real lives ahead of us. but let's spend these days for what they are. Jesus says in John chapter 9, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. This is just a season. Let's use it well. And remember your appointment. Doesn't matter whether or not he physically arrives in our lifetime. We'll all still have that time at the judgment seat of Christ. And then finally, we really don't even have to wait to see him. John chapter 14 Jesus says this. He was about to, telling his disciples he was going to leave. And there in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, a paraclete, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him because they're not born again. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans but I will come to you. After a little while, the world, will, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Did you see that? Because I live. You will live. I don't see him with my physical eyes, but he dwells inside of me. And today, as we were worshiping, he's talking to me, and his sweet presence is sweeter than anything else that the life has to give. There's nothing, there's no pleasure on earth like the presence of God. And so already he's with me now. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's not a matter of being afraid of, boy, if he comes back and catches me at this. What silly thinking. In him we live and move and have our being. And he now dwells within us every moment of the day. So how do we stay ready, waiting for his return? Well, we keep our perspective. We realize that the Father has business to do, and it's not just about us, it's about saving those who aren't saved yet, and gathering his whole family, getting every one of his children before he shuts the door. He will not do he will not shut that door till the last child's in. Thank the Father. He waited for me, He waited for you, and He's waiting for others. I'm grateful He hasn't come back yet. He will come back at a moment when the last soul's in. But I'm to use these days well and to spend them well. And if I put Jesus first in my life and stop living for myself, meaning and purpose I begin to value every day I have, life becomes precious to me. And then I realize he's with me right now. And I'll see him. I'll see him at my death, but he dwells within me till then. Is there anybody who needs to say right now, there's stuff I need to cast off. I need an attitude change. I, need, I have not been living in light of his coming. I've been kind of gripping the shadowlands. I've been making my nest here. I've been falling in love with the world. And by the world, what the Bible means is not that you love a beautiful sunny day and listening to the birds sing or you like the barbecue. That's not what it's talking about. It says that John defines it. He says the the, the love of the world is the lust of the eyes. That means greed, stuff. You're living for stuff. Lust of the flesh. Well, there we go. Pleasure. Or he says the boastful pride of life, living for me wanting me glorified, putting me at the center and living for my own glamour and glory and honor. Those things creep into our heart. The love of God is not in us. It quenches it. Anybody right now, you say, there's stuff of the world that I need to cast off. There's priorities I need to get ready. I need to change some things so that my heart burns with a living flame for the coming Jesus Christ. If that's true of you, just I'm not going to ask what it is, but why don't you stand to your feet and I'm going to pray a prayer that we just break that assignment right off because I think it's something that comes, creeps back in on all of us. It's like mowing your lawn. You mow it once, but then the grass grows again. And these attitudes keep growing back and keep infiltrating in all of us. And so right now, I'm just given an opportunity to respond, to just prepare ourselves, as it were. Prepare ourselves. Anybody else need to stand and say, okay. I got, I got some lawn that needs mowing. I got some attitudes that need cleansing. I need something that's set in order. Praise you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Prepare your bridegroom, your bride, your bridegroom. We praise you, Jesus. Lord, right now as we stand before you, we just declare to you, there are things that want to come into our heart of the world, deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world. Lord, we've, we've, we've followed the, 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 the lust of our eyes. Things and stuff and, and the world has, has tended to creep in on areas. Right now, we renounce it. And we say that real, our real treasure is in heaven. And our real treasure is pleasing our Father and touching people's lives for Jesus Christ. That's our treasure. That's what matters, not stuff. Lord, where the where the lust of the flesh, where pleasures and comforts and and, and and the use of drugs or alcohol, uh, where we've simply caught ourselves with a television and spent our time entertaining ourselves instead of giving ourselves into your service or, or, or prayer or reading your word or being with our families. Lord, forgive us. We just we cut that thing aside right now and cast it off. And we say, You are our pleasure. Your anointing, your your presence is the sweetest pleasure of life. There is nothing else like it. Nothing satisfies our heart like you. We cast off the pursuit of the pleasure of this world. And then, Lord, where there's finally that that boastful pride of life, we die to die. We take ourselves out of the center of our world, and we put you, Jesus, in the center of our world. We will live for you. We will not seek our own life, but we will seek to to, live yours and lose it our own for the sake of the gospel and thereby find life and find our purpose so Lord the, the world is getting mowed down again in our hearts It's being its ties and its holds and its encroachment is being broken that we might present to you a heart of flame in fact would you those standing would you just cup your hands and would you, uh, um, this is a, just in effect, just picture of the flame of God right there. Lord, we offer to you our hearts on fire, full of oil and burning brightly. And we will, we will burn, we will burn till the day of Jesus Christ. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.